Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Jeff Shiver back to the podcast. Welcome back, Jeff. Hi, thank you, James. It's great to be here. It's always a lot of fun to visit with you. Thanks, Jeff. Now, I'm sure many people are familiar with you, but just in case they're not, you work with people and processes, right? You've been involved in maintenance and reliability. I've seen your presentations for years now. You're heavily involved in SMRP, although very brief. What Can you expand on your background for us and introduce yourself? Sure. So I actually started my career at Procter & Gamble doing uh, electrical engineering, controls engineering. Then I left and went to um, IBM in Manassas, Virginia, spent a year there, and then I went to Mars. So Snickers, Skittles, Pedigree, Whiskers, and in Mars, I worked in four different plants, uh, two corporate roles, many other roles, everything from a technician to a controls engineer to a, a lead technician to a, a uh, uh, you know, maintenance manager, production manager, uh, you know, and really was set up to move on to the, to the executive ranks. And I left in, in uh, 2006 and started People in Processes with some other individuals. And now I'm currently the sole owner of People in Processes. And we do work, you know, much like you do everywhere in the world, it seems like, uh, is part of that. And, you know, to your point, I just finished up my uh, actually board of director role with SMRP in this past October. So, you know, we're kind of working on a bunch of internal projects and also working with a lot of clients much deeper uh, to help them become more successful in the maintenance and reliability practices. All right. Excellent. And specifically around the planning and scheduling piece, how long have you been involved with the planning and scheduling piece, whether as a practitioner to now as a, as a service provider? Yeah. So easily, you know, probably in the, the 20, 25 years, um, you know, as a technician, as a lead, as a maintenance manager, even in the production manager role. So I've seen, I've seen all different sides of it and worked closely, you know, with the planning function and especially as a, you know, in the consulting role with people and processes. You know, one of our things is much like yours, you know, we're very deeply involved in the planning and scheduling. And even Sean, some, some years ago, we talked, and there's a lot of people that really struggle with planning and scheduling, unfortunately, you know, and it's the center, you know, it's the center of the hub. Everything revolves around planning and scheduling inside a maintenance organization and effective maintenance organization, I should add. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why do organizations really need to plan? I know me and you got a good understanding of why they should be doing this, but why do organizations need to be planning their work? Well, what happens is, as many of the technicians go out and there's all these avoidable delays. We talk about it in terms of, um, I don't have the right information to do the work, or I don't have the right parts or materials, or I don't have the time to do my job right. And, you know, so the avoidable delays, and, and from a management perspective, we've always liked to talk in the past about that in terms of wrench time. And I'm really, I prefer to approach it a little differently. I kind of come at it from the standpoint of, what is a technician experience like? 
and how can we improve that? So from a technician standpoint, if you go ask them, they say, well, you know, I never have the time to do it right. That's one of the biggest complaints, or I never have the right information. Or I never have the parts and materials. And, you know, so from the planning standpoint, it's, you know, really the parts and the materials, the right parts and right materials, right information. Then it's from the scheduling standpoint, it's time to do it right. And then am I working on the right priority work uh, from that standpoint? <laughs> but initially enough, you know, when we talk about, statistics and you know it's not uncommon to find a planner spending as much as five hours a day just trying to requisition parts and materials to do the work you know when they don't have good implementations of the storeroom or the, or the computerized maintenance management systems as an example but when we talk about that I actually move on I've kind of moved on from just the avoidable delays you know we're all continuous learners and one of the things that I've come to realize over the years is that it's really more than that you know, if we talk about the inherent reliability of an asset, you know, we use the military definition. We say, you know, that the probability of an asset will perform its intended function for a stated period of time under stated conditions. You know, what is it that we got? You know, when that piece of equipment was installed, what is it that we got? And that's really the inherent reliability. When we think about it, though, what is the defects that we introduce from a planning and scheduling standpoint, really the whole work execution process, what is it that we introduce that makes the observed reliability different than the inherent reliability? And how do we close that gap, if you can visualize that? So when we think about that, you know, every piece, every part of the process, we have an opportunity to introduce a defect. You know, maybe it's we didn't torque the bolts properly, or maybe we used uh, the incorrect spare, or, you know, the spare that exceeded the shelf life. So there's a lot of opportunities to not actually introduce defects as part of the work execution process. And planning gives us a tool to help get that to a level of specification. You know, torques, gaps, fits, clearances, you know. I think you like to use the term, you know, target and tolerance as part of that. Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, and I'll add to something, James, as we're doing this. People might infer that I'm talking about defect elimination when I talk about not introducing defects. Defect elimination is different. You know, defect elimination obviously happens in a lot of cases on the front end. You know, how do we make sure that we properly install the equipment? We specify the equipment as part of the capital project for for what we intended to utilize it for as part of that. So very different things, but still, you know, from our world, from a maintenance world, how do we not introduce defects? into what we're trying to do when we go to actually maintain that asset and achieve that, you know, the capability of the asset. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm glad you called out that piece on defect elimination. Um, yeah, planning can prevent defects from going into the system, um, you know, through proper maintenance, through proper procedures, those types of things. But that is different than, like you said, design eliminating defects from a design perspective, um, redesigns after we conduct our CAs, those types of things. But, you know, it's all, like you said, we're trying to get back to that inherent level of, of reliability or availability within that system. Now, one of the common questions I get from a lot of different people, I get it from techs, I get it from planners, I get it from supervisors, I get it from all over, is how detailed should those job plans be? You know, I've had this conversation with Doc Palmer, and we have slightly different opinions on it. Um, <laughs> But what are your thoughts? What is that right level of detail in those job plans? Because this is something everyone struggles with. You know, I, I share with you, Doc actually used to be people in process, be, be part of people in processes some years ago, and uh, 
he and I have taught classes together, and, and he's a great individual. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Doc. He's done so much for the industry. And to your point, you know, Doc's approach is not always the same as everybody else's, and that's quite okay. And, and you know, I always think about it in terms of what is my minimally qualified technician? And I need to write those job plans at least at that level where that minimally qualified technician can go and actually execute the work but it's actually bigger than that and you know when we talk about this bob williamson my old friend bob williamson uh used to be the editor for maintenance technology magazine uh which is you know transition on to other things and as part of that some years ago he wrote an article a series of articles actually around job plans and, and he basically asked one question if you can only pick one tool for reliability what would it be and his answer was standardized work and so John plans provide standardized work. And my point with that is, is how do we write them to a level of specification? So, you know, so that we can actually go out and we can achieve what we're trying to accomplish. And we don't, to the point we talked about before, we don't actually introduce defects. You know, things are done the same way every time. And it's critical because I remember one time at a, um, at a chemical plant, I was actually doing a group, you know, like two different sets of planning scheduling classes and, you know, like two and a half days and two and a half days type thing. And, and they had, you know, supervisors and planners and they had aspiring technicians and they wanted to move in those roles. And we're going through this process of talking about job plans. And one of the technicians uh, jumps up and says, you know, Jeff, hey, just tell me what you need me to do, not how to do it. And I'm like, wow, you know, okay, this is great. <laughs> so it leads into that conversation. And, and I actually didn't get far into the conversation before the other people in the room started speaking up and they talked to that technician and they said, you don't realize this, but, you know, we always send somebody behind you to check on the work you do because we want to make sure it's done to that level of specification. And I think back in terms of happened they made cyanide, which, you know, <clears throat> they obviously had reasons to be concerned about that. You know, if you drifted a cloud of cyanide across the city, then you know what happens with that. So anyway, it's really important that, you know, we do things in the same way. So if we have one technician goes out and he does it his way, we have another technician that goes out and does it their way, and then we have a failure, which way caused the failure? You know, when we're trying to go back and understand and learn, if we're a learning organization and learn from those failures, then it's really important that we do it the same ways. That way we can figure out what to fix and how to improve. And if everybody goes out and does it their own way, then we'll never be successful You know, as part of that. So, again, realize that those those job plans can be utilized as training tools as well, you know, for new technicians. And we talk about all the retirements. And I think, you know, when we come through this period that we're in right now, I think we'll see an accelerated rate of retirements. Potentially, we may find that other people stay on longer because of the the, the stock market decline or whatever, but that will eventually come back. And, and some people may be positioned and they said, okay, uh, now's the time to go, you know, as part of that. So, you know, we're going to have even more, a greater influx of new resources that we have to teach and train and get to some level of qualification. So that job plan becomes a great tool to help you get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, those are always good conversations. You know, if you have two technicians doing the work differently, where did that defect come from? Um, that has a tendency to highlight the issues with ha not having good job plans, like just tell me what you want me to do type thing. Um, and I agree, you know, there is a balance. We want to make sure that we provide those specifications to get that repeatable work, those type of things. 
but I also need to recognize that they have a certain skill set. Um, and it's, I find it's hard to strike that balance sometimes. Yeah, no, you're right. And as part of that, you know, I think back of one of our clients that manufactures latex rubber products, and they're situated around these um, refineries. And it's not in Houston, but it is in Texas, and it's part of that. So they really struggle retaining people, and they know they're a feeder. So technicians with a minimal level of skills come in to the organization because that's what they can afford to hire. And they get up to a certain skill level, and they go on and start to work with the refineries because they can make them a lot more money. And they understand that. So they train to a particular point. But when they bring people in, as a good example, their job plans are very detailed. And the reason is because they know that they're going to be bringing technicians in that don't have that minimum necessarily that minimum level of skills that you would expect. And it's not that it's a free-for-all, don't misunderstand, but, you know, it's, you know, they're trying to say, how do we make sure that we use these tools to help us ensure that we have the reliability of the assets that we're seeking as part of that, you know? And so it's an interesting conversation. Like you say, it, it varies, but it also, you know, depends on the skills of the craft. And I've seen job plans that, you know, have, very few task steps, and they rely really heavily on the skills of the craft. But what happens when that technician is no longer there? I'm actually reminded of a different scenario at another chemical plant, and it was in a pump shop. And the technician, you know, they, they had great experience with the pump shop up until, you know, a certain period of time. And then they started putting these, they would take the pumps out of shop, out of the storeroom that had been rebuilt. And they would go out and they wouldn't last any time. And they're like, well, what's happened? You know, so they started digging into the issues in the pump shop and, and they had had all these retirements and all these new people had been brought into the pump shop. And that was their full-time job. They worked in the pump shop, but there was no mechanism to train them to your point to get up to that level of qualification. So they realized they had to go back and improve the specifications you know, on how they're doing the pump rebuilds and as part of that. And they have one individual that was older and he took the lead in writing those specifications and things. And one day he goes home and he had a side business and he goes home and he's working out of his garage and he hurts his back and he never comes back. And then, you know, there was this, this, this loss within the pump shop because now the, those new technicians were left to their own devices and they didn't have good, good standards, good specifications. So again, you know, it's a combination of both, James, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do we know if we're going too deep or not deep enough? What indicators or what can we see that tells us we're going too far one way or another? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Again, you know, like we've talked about already, there's not really any clear delineation, I don't think. You know, it's based on the operating context. It's based on the industry. It's based on the criticality of the assets. There's a lot of variables that go into that. I wish that it was clear cut. But the uh, what happens is, obviously, if we're going too deep, you know, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey is probably too deep. You know, we need to <laughs> some level of minimum qualifications expect some level minimal qualifications that you're talking about as part of that absolutely we need to do that and you know but one of the things that i think should happen is if the planner you know ideally we want the planner to have craft skills be put into the role and they promoted from the role and it's actually a level of promotion you know beyond the technician um which is a separate entity into itself we often don't want to pay properly you know we, we typically a planner role tends to be salaried 
And what happens is, is that we, we, you know, look at it, the planner role when the HR is involved and they're trying to hire for the position that's okay, we're going to do 80 grand, you know, whatever number they come up with from a salary standpoint, the technicians are making a hundred plus grand over here with overtime. And they're like, I'm not going to take a cut and pay. So it's very difficult to get people into those roles sometimes based on that. So the challenge fits, you know, but if we have the planner has technical skills and they've done the job, then they should understand, okay, this is a good balance. You know, I was a craftsperson myself. I would be insulted if somebody put this on the, the thing, you know, on the job plan, this level of detail, you know. But again, and on the converse side of that, you know, how do I know that I've got too much detail? Well, you know, it, it, how do I, excuse me, how do I know that I don't have enough detail? I can use my metrics. You know, how much rework am I getting into? What kind of failures am I having? You know, and I've seen organizations do that, actually be able to go back and leverage the metrics to track back in to understand, okay, actually we're introducing the defects because the plans aren't detailed enough. And, you know, we talk about experiences. I had the case where we had gone into an organization and we had done uh, maintenance and reliability practices, best practices, better practices, however you want to label them, uh, you know, training. And as part of that, we talked about job plans and level of detail and things. And then they actually hired another consulting group to come in and work with them on their planning side, which is quite okay. But then what happened is that that group basically said, oh, well, you don't need all this detail in the job plans. And they went in and they just started deleting steps. Guess what? They had failures. And they went back and started looking and they tied it back to the lack of detail in the job plans. So then they had to go back in and actually add back in that information back into the job plans to get back to that level of, of reliability that they were at previously. And it happens this was a data center, so it was critical they maintain the reliability of the assets. That's interesting how they could actually go back and tie that in. Um, because you're right, it's there to eliminate failures. It's there to eliminate defects or prevent defects from occurring. Um, but we got to strike that right balance. I'm never going to tell a welder that go turn on the welding machine, right? I'm not, I don't think I'd ever get to that level of detail. Um, But, you know, we want to give them those specifications, lay out what steps and what order, those types of things, I think is a good starting point. Now, you mentioned that, you know, ideally our planners are people that have a technical background, a trade background. How do we deal with a planner who may have a strong background in one trade, but is planning for that trade in another trade? You know, maybe they're a mechanic, but they're also planning for pipe fitting. How do they... really get to the right level of detail when they have an idea of it, but they haven't been in the field doing it. Yeah. And actually I have another story relative to that. It was at another chemical plant. They got a new uh, technical director and the technical director decided he would just mix things up. And I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? And what he decided he would do is he was going to swap the electrical planners for the mechanical planners. And I'm like, huh, you know, help me understand this. And so, (laughs) you know, he did. And, uh, and he, he messed with their pay. He did with a whole bunch of other stuff. So it was, there was a whole bunch of dissension in the ranks, needless to say, uh, because obviously if you want to get people upset, you could play them with their pay. And they went from hourly to salary to salary plus comp plus, you know, overtime. And they did a whole bunch of things. But anyway, one of the things they did was exactly that. And I think it's important first off to realize there's this expectation from the technicians, because we have a planner, they're going to give them a perfect job plan. And there's this expectation from the planning side that we're going to rely on the craft skills of the technician. You know, so we don't have to provide all this detail. 
the reality is, is there's a process for this. And, you know, so the planner should, the focus of the planner should be to give that technician a head start, especially in the case of where I may not necessarily be an expert. You know, obviously you can't be experts in everything. Uh, I'm not an expert in piping to use the example you gave. So I'm going to leverage the skills of the technician and I'm going to ask, I'm going to have those conversations. Hey, what is it that you need? And the goal of the planner should be to give the technician a head start. Let me get the materials for you. Let me understand how long the job's going to take, you know, so we can schedule it properly. Let me make sure I understand how many people are going to be required to do this work. And those are the three minimum basic things that we need to get the job started. You know, if we know what the crafts are, we know what the hours are, then we can schedule it. And then if we can get the materials coming, then we've got the materials piece taken care of. And then we have to rely on the craft skills, but we also have to rely on the next piece of that, which is the job feedback. And we should have a job feedback process that feeds back into the planner so that they can improve that job plan over time. Because, you know, and it comes back into, uh, you know, I always look at it. People say, well, you know, that's a perfect job plan. I said, no, that's not. There's no such thing as a perfect job plan. There's always an opportunity to improve it. Maybe from the standpoint of we don't introduce additional defects, we have some level of specification, or, you know, it's just, you know, we figure out a better way to do the job, you know, and how do we get consensus among the technicians that this is the better way, and then we build that in to the job plan. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL, Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP-accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. I think as we build these job plans, right, and we pull in those expertise, you know, we have managed some of those expectations you mentioned. Um, we got to keep these job plans and evolve them over time. So what is what role does a job plan library play in providing that right level of detail? Is it used to, you know, add stuff as we miss it? Do we ever take stuff out? How do we use that job plan library to, you know, get that right level of detail in our plans? Yeah, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is in many cases, we don't, most planning functions don't really have job plan libraries. They say they do. But the reality is, is they don't. And if you go and you dig under the under the covers, they'll tell you, hey, we've got them. And you start looking, and they actually don't have a job plan library. They've got a, you know, the work order history. And they look up past work orders. And you're like, wait a minute. No, that's not a job plan. You know, a job plan library is actually, you know, you can think of it as a notebook with all these plans inside of it. You know, and the goal is, is maintenance work is repetitive. You know, we do this job today, we'll be back in, you know, six months, two years doing the same work again. So how do we leverage that? And how do we leverage the the skills may not be necessarily the same person doing the work. So how do we get those skills built into that job plan, you know, and leverage that? So the job plan, you know, as I said previously, there's no perfect plan. But what happens is, is the job plan library enables you to have reduced planning time. So by building out that job plan and having it, and you should have a job plan template, if you will, to start, you know, and said, okay, this is our template. This is what we use across the organization. This is the way we approach job plans. And then, you know, here's the things we should be looking for. So what are the PPE requirements? 
What are the lockout, you know, tagout requirements? What are the, um, you know, the task steps? What are the materials? And once we build that stuff in, and we again, we can add to it as we go, then what happens is, is now it doesn't take me any time to plan that job. I know I can. I know what materials are required. I know how long it's going to take, and I can average that. And some certain CMMSs actually do the averaging for you uh, with some of that. And you can actually take that and say, okay, now, now you know, I just simply pull it out of my notebook, literally, out of the CMMS system, and say, okay, you know, I need to order these parts. You know, I need this seal, this bearing, whatever, and it makes my job so much easier. You know, we talked about it previously, but planners spend, we, we talked about planners spend as much as five hours a day researching parts to requisition. You don't have to spend that five hours because all you do is pull it out. Here it is. Bam, 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 bam. This is what I need, you know, and you can pop it off and order it. And then the benefit, too, of having the job plan library is you may be planning a job that's similar but not quite the same. Well, you can leverage parts and pieces from that job plan library from an existing job plan to build it in. As a great example, laser alignment. You know, you have a laser alignment, you have a laser alignment procedure, you know, the tolerances, expectations, things like that. And all you got to do is just pop that in, you know, or have it as a separate plan and attach it. You know? So there's different ways to do it. But I think one of the key things, too, that's really important is how you name your job plans. And number one, they need to be named for recall. And number two, they need to be set up where it's not necessarily tied to a specific asset. They can be referenced to that asset, sure. But I really want them where I can find them, you know, to say, okay, well, you know, I've got this Gould Series 60 pump here. I've got this Gould Series 60 pump over here. Yeah, I may have 20 different Gould Series 60 pumps. But the reality is, is I only want one job plan for those. You know, I want, to, I want one place that I can go update it and it applies to all 20 of those assets rather than having, you know, unique individual things. Because now if I update one, obviously the other 19 didn't get updated. So that's, again, you've got to put some, some wisdom into how you approach your job plan library. But the benefits are huge because it allows you to, to simply leverage your existing work that you've done in the past to make it really easy to move forward, either through the requisition of parts or building new job plans or simply saving you time by having the job plan or previously built. Yeah, I think you, you nailed a couple great points there. How they store those job plans, how they name them. That way they can search, they can use as references or templates for other pieces that are similar. Um, you know, they don't have to redo all of that work for procurement. Um, there's lots of huge benefits there. And I also think, you know, getting that feedback, updating these is how we ultimately arrive at that right level of detail in the job plan. It's an iterative process. Um, you mentioned it earlier that we'll never have a perfect job plan. It's so we're constantly evolving, constantly improving these things, and the job plan library allows us to do that now. Yeah, and, you know, I couldn't agree more. It's really important that we do leverage the job plans, and that's one of the things as we talked about. I really don't find a lot of organizations that have really detailed job plans. I was in one not too long ago, and, and the individual was actually setting up a corporate you know, prototype, if you will, to leverage and, and carry across the rest of the organization. And I asked him, I said, how many job plans have you developed? You know, you've been in the role for three months now. And he said, one. And I'm like, wow, you know, we've got to roll up our sleeves and get started then, you know, as part of that, because there's just so much opportunity to make things better. Yeah, absolutely. You got to start developing these things, get them out there, get them tested, get them, get feedback, update them. And like you said, we got to look at which ones are going to scale better for us. So if we have 60 of these pumps within the facility, 
that might be good a good asset to start with because we can leverage it across all these different assets. Um, there's lots of thought that goes into building a job plan library, but like you said, it's one of those it's one of those things that really makes a big difference in the efficiency and the effectiveness of the planning function. It also now, allows us to capture knowledge, and you know, I have uh, two different examples with two bottling plants. You know, in one bottling plant, the the actual OEM specifications, the the PM procedures, and everything, did not list the specifications on the equipment. In other words, for example, you know, the chain, how much chain stretch is acceptable? I know you've done some things not too long ago on chains and um, saw some things come across and uh, around chain stretch. And it happens that, you know, on a cartner across four flights, um, you know, buckets, if you will, you would find that if the chain was 72 inches, then it was new. If it was 72 and a quarter, that was the P on the PF curve. You know, at that point, we need to be thinking about how we're going to replace the chain and get the orders, get it ordered and stuff. And then if it hit 72 and three eighths, then it, it was gone. It, it had hit the F as part of that on the PF curve. And what you find in many cases is many of the, I was at another bottling site. There was a sister to that bottling site, actually, in a different machine. And we were going through that and, and the, the service techs would come in and, and maintain the machine every quarter. And we would go ask them and say, okay, you know, what are the specifications for this? And they said, well, there's no documented specifications. I'm like, wow, you know, you're the service tech. You work on multitudes of these machines. How come you guys as a business don't have standards? And he said, well, it's just left up to each individual technician. You know, conversing that to the, the one that we just talked about where, you know, 72, 72 and a quarter, 72 and three eighths. And so the challenge is, is how can we capture that? Not just in the job plans, because if we talk about a PM task list, they're really the same. A job plan and a PM task list are really the same. The only difference is the PM task list is triggered out, you know, every month or quarter or whatever the case may be to execute the PM. But the levels of detail should be very similar with regard to that. You know, so if you think about Maximo, it's a job plan. You know, it's a job plan. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would love to see more of that corrective work and to that level of detail that we see in some of the PMs out there. Um, we got to get to that level of detail. Now, what do you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with job plans at the right level? What is that one, that secret ingredient that helps organizations get those in place? Feedback from the technicians and actually doing something about it. You know, I would say the, I often see cases where there's no feedback loop or the feedback loop exists, but nobody does anything with it. And then, of course, the technicians, after they provide feedback two or three times, they're, okay, we're done with this, and no point in wasting our time. So I think that's a critical component is having a feedback loop because if we think about, you know, a minimal job plan, crafts, hours, and materials, that's a start, you know. How do we get, how do we improve it? How do we make it better? We've got to have that feedback loop. And to me, that's probably the most critical piece. I'm glad you emphasize do something with it. I don't know how many times I've seen a stack one or two feet high on a planner's desk of marked up job plans that he had, he or she has not gone through and actually used the feedback for yet. Yep. Yep. You know, it's a shame. It is. It's an absolute shame. And when the techs get a PM or a corrective work order, again, it's got the same issues that they've marked up two or three times guess what? They're no longer giving you any feedback. That's right. 
And some of that also has to do with the relationship, you know, between management and, and, and you know, the technicians and how they've approached things. And, you know, at the end of the day, how do we have a partnership? And I think about it, you know, we, we put all the GPS screens up on the windshield and we think about different functions and different roles and responsibilities. And the question at the end of the day is, are we all headed in the same direction? Yeah, absolutely. We all have to be moving in that right direction, have that good relationship. Now, if you had a magic wand, what is the one thing you would change in that typical planning process? When we talk about, you know, it comes back to what we really talked about is number one, having a job plan library and number two, using the feedback, leveraging the feedback and making it better and building a partnership. So many times you find, unfortunately, you know, the, the planner doesn't necessarily have a great relationship with the technician. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they're just, um, you know, they're literally overwhelmed um, and they're not able to incorporate their feedback for whatever reason. But those are key pieces to me. You know, I know we've already talked about them, but, you know, obviously if I had the magic wand and I could just do anything, you know, we just fix it. You know, we'd have a great job plan library and it'd be written to a specification and, you know, we'd have that feedback loop in place. And, and, you know, you and I, James, when we go and we go into these uh, organizations and we see what's going on, most of the time they really aren't following processes. They haven't developed the processes. Management hasn't determined a vision, you know, and people aren't walking the vision and, Especially now, you know, I, I hear organizations where, okay, in a current time frame that we're in, you know, we're just running. You know, we're not worried about planning. We're not worried about doing PMs right now. We're just running, you know. But when everything comes back to some level of, of normal, you know, we really need to be, you know, thinking about how do we get the business processes right? Because everything starts, you know, every result is, every product is a result of the process. You know, we learned that from Six Sigma as part of that. So, you know, it's incredibly important that we get the process right. And eyes glaze over when you talk about that, but everything is a result of the process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say with that magic wand, I'd get those processes and those standards in place. So everyone's doing that planning the same way to the same level of expectation, that sort of thing. Um, But not everyone wants to deal with that, right? That's boring stuff. It's not fun. It's not interesting. So... (laughs) Yeah, but it's foundational. And, you know, we're out. You know, it's interesting that we talk about this because we're out chasing maintenance 4.0 and we're out doing all these things about, you know, hey, let's put all these, you know, sensors on this machine and let's do prescriptive analytics and let's do all this great stuff. All great stuff. I'm not knocking that. You know, the challenge gets to be, though, if you can't take advantage of what you're getting from an analytic standpoint with basic work execution, basic blocking and tackling, foundational components, you know, doing the PMs in the right way, the skills of the technician, you know, those kind of things, you've got nothing to build on, you know, and and if you don't have your business processes defined. And it's kind of like I was doing a leadership and supervision course um, at another facility and I was sitting down with the supervisors and we talk about business processes and and he says, you know, Jeff, he said, I can't hold my technicians accountable. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because we don't have any business processes for which to hold them accountable to. That's <laughs> part of that. And I said, okay, you know. Were, were <laughs> and, we in the same class? True, you know, so it, it's really, that's a key piece. And, and to your point, you know, everybody says, oh, that's boring stuff and we don't need to do that. Just like vision and mission is the same thing, you know. They tell you, oh, no, 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 we don't really want to do that. No, you really do. 
because how do we make sure everybody's headed in the same direction? And then the other thing, you know, that we talk about it, and you know this better than anybody, just like I do, you know, is reliability is an everybody thing. You know, it's not maintenance. And I'm always reminded, I went into a factory one day and I did an assessment. I sat down with the VP and he told me, he says, you know, Jeff, I understand I've got all these other issues, but I just want you to fix maintenance. And I said, okay, that's fine. I'm glad to fix maintenance for you, but you have to recognize that's not going to get you reliability, you know, and... And then he, then he went on to say, which I thought was an interesting comment. He said, I don't want you to teach anybody any theory stuff, no classes or anything. I just want you to get boots on the ground and make them do it, you know, make them successful. And I'm like, but everything starts with education. You have to help people understand what you're trying to accomplish and why, you know. So that's really the first step is to help people, you know, understand what it is, you know. So... And it wasn't successful until they decided to do that. The education was key, a key component. And now they're, I would rank them very highly, you know, that whole organization very highly. They put people in places, they put in the roles, they put people in, you know, um, they built their business processes. They have oversight, they assess, they audit, they do those things. And it's a very different organization from a maintenance perspective than it was previously. And then from an operations as well. They still have a ways to go, obviously, but, you know, it, very, very different. But it all started with education. Yeah, absolutely. If you think of the change model ad car, right? Awareness, desire, why, what's in it for me. Then you got the knowledge piece. Then you can do the ability piece. Um, you got to follow that progression to actually make it work. Um, yep. And I was listening to another uh, another thing the other day. And as part of that, you know, it was kind of like, so what? So how does it matter to them? And then now that they figure out how it matters, then what now? You know, so to your point. Yep. You know, we have to create that desire and the what's in it for me before we start giving them knowledge and then they can execute. Now, you, know, you talked- bring that up and, and I'll share this with you. It's uh, we talk about the what's in it for me. And as managers, we always think about it in terms of, you know, hey, if you make this change, you'll get all these great results. You know, this will be the pluses of making the change. But we never talk about, there's really four quadrants to that. And we never talk about what the minuses of making the change are or what the pluses and minuses of not making the change are. And we really have to address all four quadrants to help them understand and get them to buy in. Because it's not just about, okay, well, if you go do this, you get this. But by doing that, they may give up something that's more important to them at the end of the day. And so they're resistant to change. Absolutely. You definitely have to consider those downsides or those risks of the change. Now, we've talked tremendously about job plans, but what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today that they can go do differently tomorrow? Take action. Take action. You know, it's to talk about it is a dream. You know, to take action gives you an opportunity to figure out what works and what doesn't. And so the key thing, you know, you can, you can go chase all these things at the end of the day, but pick something and just do it. Just freaking do it. You know, take a step and it might be the wrong step. That's okay. You know, you learn from that. And, but without action, it's meaningless. You know, without action is meaningless. So just, just take a step, do something. Yeah, take that, like you said, that first step, whether it's setting up the job plan library, establishing what level of detail is required in the job plans, take that first step and just keep moving. Build a job plan template if you don't have one. Exactly. 
you know, do something, do something meaningful, make it work. One step. Every journey starts with a single step, as you say. Yep, absolutely. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about job plans. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, people in processes, all those great things? I normally ask about conferences, but I know that's kind of up in the air at the moment. Um, <laughs> so where can people find out more about you, get in touch with you, that type of stuff? Well, obviously, they can go to the People in Processes website, peopleinprocesses.com. And then they can find me on LinkedIn, probably the easiest way, or they can reach out to me via email at jshiver at peopleandprocesses.com. So those would be the simplest ways to do it. As you said, you know, we typically, both of us speak at conferences all the time, but we're not doing those for the short term. No, unfortunately not. All right. Excellent. I will make sure to put links to all those in the show notes. But one last question I always like to ask, what are your go-to resources? Is there something on peopleandprocesses.com that may help them with this pro- with this topic? Is there a book? Is there an article? What's a, what's a couple of go-to resources for job planning and the level of detail in the job plans? There's actually several. And obviously, you know, there's on both our websites, you know, uh, you know, people and processes and your websites and the uh, yeah, resources for me specifically, there's like 60 videos on YouTube at the people and processes channel and also at Jeff Shiver, um, my personal channel. There's some resources there. There's the Ask Jeff blog at plantservices.com. Uh, haven't been active on that. Tom Wilkes is working on me pretty hot and heavy to get uh, to get back active on that. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of things around planning and scheduling there. And uh, then, you know, obviously listening to your podcast is a great resource as well. All right. And thank Excellent. you, James, by the way, for, uh, you know, having me and also for the for the contribution you make to the community. Oh, thank you. It's only with guests like you that we're able to do this. So um, thank you as well. And I'll make sure to put links to all these resources on the show notes as well so people can easily find them. Well, Jeff, thank you for your time. I truly enjoyed the conversation today. Likewise, and I always enjoy speaking with you. Uh, It's a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you as our paths cross. Uh, Hopefully, you know, we'll get the conference circuit back going again, you know, before too much longer, and at least by October anyway, and we'll see each other at SMRP, if not sooner. Excellent. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.